I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for updates on podcast guests and lots of live events. So I just got this really cool new pair of leggings from blissbodyshop.com, and I just wanted to tell you all about it because they're super cool, and um, they ended up giving me a little code so you all can try them for 15% off. So it's blissbodyshop.com, B-L-I-S-S, blissbodyshop.com. And if you enter Zibby Owens 15, Z-I-B-B-Y-O-T, W-E-N-S-15, you will get 15% off of these leggings. And I wear leggings all the time on the weekends uh, with my big oversized vest and some sort of comfy sweatshirt or something to run around and chase my kids. And I travel in them a lot. And um, I mean, who doesn't need leggings? And I should mention that I work out in them, but I do that far less than all the other things I do. Anyway, go check it out, blissbodyshop.com and use the code ZibbyOwens15 and get yourself some leggings. I'm here today with Ann Bogle who is the podcast host of What Should I Read Next? and one great book. She's also the author of Reading People, I'd Rather Be Reading, and her latest book, Don't Overthink It. She's also the creator of the blog, Modern Mrs. Darcy. Anne has been featured in O, the Oprah Magazine, Real Simple, Bustle, Refinery29, The Washington Post, and more. Her popular book lists and reading guides have established her as a tastemaker among readers, authors, and publishers. She lives in Louisville, Kentucky, with her husband and four children. Welcome, Anne. Thanks for coming on. Moms don't have time to read books. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me to talk about my favorite discussion topic. Which is? I mean, books and reading oh, all day long. <laughs> right before we started, I was talking about, there's a scene in Don't Overthink It in this new book where she accidentally microwaves a melon instead of a spaghetti squash, which was amazing. So I thought maybe that was your favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> you know, that's not a story I've told all that much. Okay, tell it now. Dinner party. I mean, everybody loves scene. embarrassing stories, right? Do you mind? No, no, I don't mind at all. I mean, as far as embarrassing moments go, this one is really not that bad. But it had been a busy, busy Friday. Every meeting had gone long. You know, people needed extra phone calls. You know, people. The, the usual. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I love them, and yet. Yeah. <laughs> so we were having friends that we'd known for a while but had never had into our home over for dinner and they're vegetarian and I had the menu all planned and we were going to have spaghetti squash tacos and I was really excited because which sounds amazing by the way I've oh, never had a so spaghetti squash good. taco well I love Deb Perlman's blog Smitten Kitchen mm-hmm. and her cookbooks too and there's a spaghetti squash and black bean taco recipe in her first cookbook and she says in her little essay introducing it this sounds improbable but hear me out this is so good and I took a chance and I tried them they were amazing so I was making a recipe that was easy that I knew how to make that I'd made before and I was excited because I was making it with my neighbor's beautiful homegrown spaghetti squash she'd grown them for the first time she gave me the first one of the season it was so pretty I mean it looks like one of those ones at the farmer's market that you pay three times as much for because it's so stinking gorgeous. So I pierced it with a fork like I do, and I put it in the microwave, and I set the timer for 15 minutes, and I did it again, and I did it again, and this is how it usually cooks. But I noticed that the puddle of water in the dish was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I finally thought, something is not right here. So I pulled out my beautiful spaghetti squash, and I cut into it, and I thought, wait a second, this is not a, this is not a spaghetti squash. <laughs> This is some kind of fancy melon, and my neighbor has no clue, and she can't find out. I hope she doesn't listen to your podcast, Ibby. Um, (laughs) She's a reader. I'm I'm sure sure she she does. does I'm I'm sure sure she does. Jen, I love you. I love you. Thank you for giving me this great story for my book. And, I mean, 
I was tired and I just wanted to get dinner on the table. And now we had nothing to eat for dinner. Our friends were coming too soon. My husband had already left to go pick up another child from someplace else because we have four. So everybody always has to be someplace. And I thought, oh, I hate everything. What, like, what is happening? What am I going to do? And I was just mad about it. And I finally realized, like, hang on. Like, I texted a friend and it's like, listen to what I just did. And she sent me back a message that was just like, <laughs> you know, hysterical yeah, yeah. laughter. Like, I can't believe you did that. That's ridiculous. And so I could, like, pull out of it and embrace the humor of the situation. And we had our friends over. And hours after they arrived, we were like, hey, we got a funny story for you. So it was fine. What did you serve? We did the same thing. So I really thought about ordering pizza, which to yeah, be clear, I was gonna say, I would have been pizza. totally fine. But like, darn it, I wanted those tacos. And there's a grocery store really close to us. And it was not that hard to just, I mean, it was so much easier than I thought. So you went be. and got another spaghetti I just went and got another spaghetti I'm so impressed. I'm so, that's, I, I think I would have thrown the whole thing. In, it seemed like, like the, the easiest pivot. Wow. Yeah. I love that. It was, you know, it was fine. We had more appetizers than I originally intended because... Even though you're microwaving the spaghetti squash, it still takes a decent amount of time. And it was great. It was fine. But, like, the reason I told that story yes. in the book is that's <laughs> exactly— the book. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's exactly the kind of thing that I could just get—you can spiral on that so easily. Like, oh, this is so frustrating. I don't need this today. I can't believe I'm the kind of person who did this. And I could really sink into what's the best way forward in this situation, knowing I don't like any of the options. Because it was it was going to go great according to plan, and now I'm spending extra time and effort on something I didn't want to because I did something foolish. And that, I mean, that can be a dangerous spiral. Yeah. So you're really crabby when your guests come in, and you— And then you ruin I, it. Right. Not because there's anything wrong. I mean, we could have had cheese and crackers, and it would have been a great night. It would have been my attitude that ruined it. One of my favorite dinner parties, I went to um, my friend Lee Carpenter, who actually was my first guest on this mm-hmm. podcast. We went to her house for dinner with her boyfriend, Elliot Ackerman, also on my podcast. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they ordered in sushi, mm-hmm. and she had a bowl of lettuce and a bottle of mm-hmm. dressing, and then we had ice cream from the freezer. It was mm-hmm. the simplest thing. We had the best time. Mm-hmm. And she set her dining room beautifully, mm-hmm. and it was amazing. I love it. And she was just relaxed and a happy hostess. Yeah, anyway, that sounds so great. The benefits of not overthinking mm-hmm. things to talk about your topic of your of your book, this third book of yours. Why did you write this book? How come? Well, when I started writing, I thought that I would write the things I knew about and the stories that I had that I wanted to tell. But I've realized over the year that I write to figure out Mm -hmm. a certain topic or I write to figure out what I think. And this is a topic. I mean, as you you know, as you've read, this is a topic that has mattered to me for a long time. And when I get together with my friends to talk about, I mean, you know, when you get glasses of wine or cups of coffee and start talking about what's going on in life, this is what we think about. And it gives lots of us lots of problems. And I was really interested in digging into First of all, why? And second of all, what can we do about it? Because I had this niggling feeling like there has to be a better way. And I'd experienced implementing some like simple, simple strategies in my life, but some huge mindset shifts that have made an enormous difference. But so many people I talk to seem to be like, oh, I'm a woman or I'm just, I'm a person who worries. Like that's just the way it is. And while some people are definitely more inclined to overthinking than others, there are things we can do about it. And I was, it seemed like a really important message to get out there. What are some of the biggest takeaways 
that at least that have helped you yeah. the, personally the most? Oh, for me personally, yeah. realizing the strong tie between perfectionism and overthinking. I was completely blind to that before, even though I've described myself as a recovering perfectionist for a good <laughs> long time now. But I, I wouldn't have characterized that behavior as overthinking. But once I could see it that way, it made it so much easier to break those patterns. And so now, what happens when you have a decision? Like, you just make it? I mean, are we, buy, <laughs> are we buying a house or are we ordering coffee? That's true. Like, yeah. I know, yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I, I don't know about you, but like, I feel like the big decisions in life, mm. I'm good. Yeah. I don't, yes. Yeah. I know where to send my kid to school. I know, like, all these mm. big things are relatively clear. And mm. it's the smaller things, like, what should we do on spring break? And how should mm. I deal with this coronavirus? And should I cancel this flight? And those are the things that I just, like, stew and stew and stew yeah. over. Do you, is that the same for you? That's so interesting. Well, we, I have um, done a little more, I almost said stewing. Ten years ago, stewing, but recently more dedicated, conscious, sometimes time-consuming thought about where to send a kid to school. The way I define overthinking, it, well, first of all, we're talking about repetitive, unhealthy thoughts mm-hmm. that are uh, your brain is really busy at work, but you're not accomplishing anything. So it's an exhausting process. It makes you feel miserable, and it, nobody needs that. But it's not overthinking if you're giving it the amount of thought that you want to. Like maybe you enjoy mm-hmm. researching 40 spring break destinations. I don't. That's totally fine. I, I don't, don't I, okay. either. <laughs> but some people really love their like deep dive travel research and planning. That's mm-hmm. part of the process for them. And that's fine. It is not overthinking right. if you're giving it the amount of thought you want to. But my goal is to give decisions the amount of energy they deserve. And figuring out like which pair of jeans fits best. I mean, I, I do not want to spend energy on that. But I think when we're facing big decisions, we, we're our better selves. We know it's important. Mm-hmm. We know we need to think about it smartly, and we're careful to do so. And it's not that nobody sinks into like a major episode of stewing over a big decision, but I think we're more careful about them. But little decisions sneak up on us. And before we know it, we spent 20 minutes in the aisle at Barnes & Noble going, okay, I found my first two books that are on the three for two table. Now, what am I going to get for the third? And pretty soon we're bouncing all over the store, like rethinking the entire decision. And you've got better things to do with your life, with your 20 minutes than than that. In that decision, I really have learned, like if I don't want to be spending my time thinking about this, if I'm going to regret this in an hour or tomorrow, just truly pick something. And move on. Easier said than done. Oh, but it becomes that's so true. It does become easier with practice, though. It's like a muscle you strengthen. And what about you have different things in the book about how to make decisions with what events to go to for friends, which I yes. thought was interesting because you could mm-hmm. spend your whole life going to different things. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> I've, I know this might sound odd, but I have like this thing about going to funerals. Like anybody I knew, like I went to a funeral of the mother of a preschool classmate of mine who I haven't seen mm-hmm. since I was three. But I was like, I don't know, I have to be there. I don't mm-hmm. know why, but that's mm-hmm. somehow important. You have a quote that you you refer to, like, if you care, be there, something mm-hmm. like that. Tell me about how you make decisions about, like, which things to go to for other people. Yeah, well, something that has been, that has changed my life mm-hmm. is realizing that if you can identify if there's a value underlying the question, that you're the decision you're facing, it makes the decision so much easier to make. And that's so interesting that you say that about funerals because I deeply regret not going to a certain funeral. I felt like I didn't know the person that well. 
So I was like, ah, do I like really deserve to be there? Mm -hmm. Would that be weird? But I realized, I mean, sometimes by making a wrong decision, we realize how to live rightly in the future. So now one of my rules to live by is like, I will err on the side of being there. But the, the little... My friend who said this to me, she calls it cheesy, but the little rhyme I think of all the time is, if you care, you'll be there. If you don't, you won't. And of course, that's not universally true. I mean, we've had friends get married across the country the same weekend, and we care deeply about both, but you can't be in California and New York at the same time. But we had all gotten together for a unofficial college roommates reunion outside Chicago. And travel was not easy for anybody. Several of us had kids in diapers. People were missing important things at work that they maybe should really have been at. But we all made the effort to come together outside Chicago with our, you know, real lives, like (laughs) wanting us at home. And she said, you know, like, I just want everybody to know that I know it's hard for you to be there, but I'm so glad we all are. It says a lot about how much you care about this relationship. But you can also apply that inversely to your decision-making. Instead of thinking like, oh, we're all here together, it shows how much we care. You can think, if I care, then my actions can reflect that and just decide when I can, I will show up for big things in life. Like we have spent lots of effort and lots of money and lots of hassle to go to key events in the lives of people we love because we really value being together in person. Not saying that should be a value for everybody, but I know this is really important to me. And so now, if we can be there, we do. We err on the side of showing up. And that helps me make decisions. And it comes back to the perfectionism thing. Like, knowing I'm going to get it wrong sometimes is something that I've learned to, I mean, mostly learned, mostly learned to accept. But deciding which way I want to go wrong, if I do, is really helpful. I also loved your book, I'd Rather Be Reading. Which, first of all, sometimes I I like look at all your books and I'm like, you're like a version of me. Like, (laughs) that's so crazy. Like, everything you're writing, I'm like, oh my gosh, me too. Like, it's crazy. So now it's like so Mm. fun to be here, like having a conversation with somebody who has the same, like something's the same in like our minds or something. And I'm noticing your bookshelves. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) This look a lot, those specific titles look a lot like the ones in my office at home. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. The other ones coming out and Mm -hmm. everything. And your podcasts, both podcasts are amazing. Well, thank you. So from I'd Rather Be Reading, let's talk about that for two seconds. Oh yeah. Why would you rather be reading? Why'd you write that book? Well, I love books and reading. I think it's, I mean, it's my favorite introverted coping strategy. It's my favorite escape. It's my favorite intellectual stimulation. But also, I find that there are so many readers who love books and reading and yet don't feel like they connect, again, in person, in their three-dimensional lives with other readers about books. And I really wanted to celebrate the fact that while reading is something that we do alone is also something that we're doing in community, even though we can't necessarily see that community. And I really, as much as I could through those essays, wanted to make it visible and say, look, we are part of the same tribe that all shares this love, um, this common language, even if we're not sitting next to each other reading on the couch. So true. It's a way to, it's like a a shortcut for understanding each other in a way. Like, which books do you like? Mm -hmm. What I don't know. Yes, I love that about books and reading. I feel like When you connect over a good book, it's such a shortcut to discussing and connecting over the things that really matter in life in a way that you can't do just to, I mean, Zibi, we wouldn't sit down and be like, well, you know, 
what kept you up last night? Or tell me, tell me what really matters to you. But when we're doing it through the lens of a good novel or an interesting nonfiction book, it's very easy to go to the heart of what matters. Mm-hmm. And I love how books make that possible. So true. I also am always saying like the right book at the right time can change your life. And it has, they've changed mine. Like, and somebody wrote me an email the other day. It was actually a publicist about a different book, Mm -hmm. but had listened to an episode and she had recently lost her mother and had Mm -hmm. listened to an episode. And she's like, that book for me came at just the right time. And that's what I think is like, I don't know about you. I mean, as people who have like dedicated Mm -hmm. their lives to getting books to people, the feeling, the rewarding feeling of knowing that like you've helped usher a book into someone's life just when they needed Mm -hmm. it is amazing. Even if you didn't, like you can't write every book yourself, right? Right. Just being the messenger almost. I'm a big believer in bookish serendipity. It's a real thing and it happens all the time. And I think it's one of the privileges we hold in common because of what we do is helping put the right books in the hands of the right readers because that truly is life-changing. I agree. Yeah. And you have four kids too. So let's talk for two seconds about that. Eight kids between us. (laughs) How do you manage the craziness? Do you have like your favorite go-to thing that you do to like decompress aside from reading or is reading your (laughs) go-to? I'm a runner as well, but I'm not as good a runner as I am a reader. I always say that I'm a really fast reader, but a really slow runner because apparently (laughs) the universe needed things to stay in balance. Well, it helps that for my kids, my youngest is 10 which is a totally different life than when I still had four kids, but, Mm -hmm. you know, they still were buckling their own car seat buckles. And no, when they weren't. When they weren't buckles. Or when they couldn't tie their own shoes or put on their own socks. Mm -hmm. I love my children, but I never loved putting on socks, you know, 14 times a day for their chubby little feet. So it's, that is different. Like they can maintain their own selves in some way. How old is your oldest kid? 17. Wow. Which, that I just, which I still can't believe. He just had a birthday. We do have a lot going on. I mean, there's definitely, it feels like a circus sometimes. But of course, there's no one I'd rather do it with. And oh, good gracious, we do have a lot of help. And we do really try to simplify what we can because there's only so much mental energy mm-hmm. to go around. And I really want to make sure I'm spending it on what really matters. When do you do all your work stuff? Is mm-hmm. it always when the kids are in school do you do, like, when do you record your podcast? Mm-hmm. How often do you record your podcast? Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, that's interesting. Because we've experimented with that a lot over the years. Our show's been going for a little over four years now. Mm-hmm. And I've experimented with all different kinds of times and days and batching and mm-hmm. not batching to do that. This has changed as I've gotten older. I used to put in a solid work session from 7 to 9 or 8 to 10 after they went to bed. But a 17-year-old does not go to bed mm-hmm. at 8 o'clock at night. So I haven't been doing that for a while. Early in the morning, but then the school day is the core of my work. Do you ever have your kids sit in on your podcast? Oh, no. (laughs) No. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but I don't know that they'd want to. And we, my podcast is different from yours in that we often talk to, our listeners describe it as we talk to regular readers. I mean, people who could be your your mom, your friend, Mm -hmm. your grandma, your neighbor, your sister, your babysitter, assuming those people don't have shiny Instagrammable jobs or work in the book industry. I mean, we talk to people who just love to read and don't necessarily have credentials. So it's really important that we make them feel comfortable Mm -hmm. and not like they're performing. A lot of times when I get on a call with somebody, they'll say, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. And I have to say like, you you know, you love books. You love to talk about books. Like this is gonna be great. But to say, like, it's going to be fine. Oh, and also my kids, like, have their notepads out and they're taking notes. <laughs> I don't know that that would really put them at ease. Yeah. 
I've tried it a few times, yeah. but you're yeah. a smarter woman than I. <laughs> I should not. I should. Not what do they it. think? <laughs> well, I did it with my kids when we read this middle. We read this young adult, like yeah. middle grade ish thing with yeah. my little guys yeah. because it was about a Disneyland type place. It was yeah. called Foreverland. Yeah. And every night for months, we read a chapter, and I thought it would feel so rewarding to them to be there to meet the author. Yeah. And my daughter, who's six, she was into it, and yeah. she even remembered the quote that I had dog eared that I yeah. forgot to mention. But my five-year-old son was like, I don't remember it at all. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. And then they started climbing up the shelves, and I yeah. was like, okay, yeah, pause. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah. I was, you know, try to merge work and life and kids and everything. Yeah, we, I think one of the keys to my sanity and also being able to do the work I did for so long was merging work and life. And as they've gotten older, that's happened less, mm-hmm. which I d- didn't really consciously set out to do. It's just worked out that way. How many books do you feel like you read a week? <sighs> Maybe four, mm-hmm. four or five. Yeah. Do you read at your desk or like laying oh, down? Oh, no. Um, I read on the treadmill. I never read at my desk. I mean, I know some people who read like at their computer screen so they can mark up files and I spend enough time at screens writing. I read a lot in bed a lot on the couch. I have a bright yellow chair um, that I love and um, the treadmill and then audiobooks when I'm running or How in the car for the laundry. Treadmill. So you're holding it? I don't know that it's like the best for my neck because I have a treadmill desk and not like a big stand. Oh, you have a treadmill desk. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're one of those people. Well, so I don't- impressive. I know sometimes I'm like, I should just like be pedaling here. I sit here like, so much. <laughs> like I should make this like, I don't know, like some sort of stationary bike that mm-hmm. <laughs> recumbent bike mm-hmm. underneath my desk. Well, I mean, the treadmill desk often serves more as like a great place to stash things than a nice work surface, to be clear. But it is it is nice to be able to do that sometimes, especially in the winter or when it's blazing mm-hmm. hot out, to to be able to read and actually move my body. And do you that. walk or run on the treadmill? Well, I need a, all. I need as specific advice as you can. It's a treadmill desk. Well, I'm not saying this is ideal, but mine no, is a I treadmill know. desk. It right. maxes out at four miles an hour because okay. it's not built for I running. See. Okay, I've never actually yeah. been on. I wish it was because I've thought about switching so I can run inside when it's icy yeah. and listen to my audiobooks, and that would be fine. But it only goes to four miles an hour, okay. so it's a walking treadmill desk. I can read on the elliptical machine. Yeah, but I haven't tried the treadmill. Mm-hmm. But. Now I'm inspired. Well, the key is a nice device like a page anchor or like mm-hmm. a built-in magazine stand that will hold your book open. Yeah. It'll hold your book open yeah. for you. And you're not bouncing too much. I've never heard much. that, a page anchor. A page anchor. Yeah, they're, they're beautiful. They're fun. You okay. can Google it later. I'm going to. I'm yeah, going, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So that's a, also like such a clever way to fit an exercise, which I feel like is the first thing that falls off the list for me with like the reading and the writing and the books and the kids. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. And yet... I, I know. I mean, now more than ever, because you spend two years researching a book like Don't Overthink It, and you're acutely aware of what you're doing to sabotage yourself or set yourself up for success. But it's definitely my impulse to let the exercise fall to the side when I get really busy. And yet, if we are in a busy season or we're feeling mentally frazzled, taking care of our body in that way is one of the best things we can do for our mental performance. I don't want it to be true. And yet it the research shows that it's definitely connected. Yeah. Like what's good for the body is good for the brain. I know. Mm-hmm. It's true. I know. It's just so hard to motivate. Oh my gosh, yes. I mean, this <laughs> is the right, pep talk right. I give myself a lot. And what about all your writing? You write so much. I mean, mm-hmm. tell me more about that. Like when do you do that or do you wait for inspiration like yeah. for each blog entry or like yeah. how do you 
Tell me about the writing. I really do. I write a lot, but I write in seasons because there's a big difference between writing a blog post, Mm -hmm. writing a book list, and writing a book. Those require different kinds of headspaces. I mean, I always carry a notebook and will make notes whenever I can or like sketch out an outline of a piece or Mm -hmm. a chapter. I'm an index card junkie, so I'm Mm -hmm. always carrying those and writing little snippets that I'll file away later. But I I prefer to write in the morning. When I can. Um, when I can't, I feel like it takes me longer in the mm-hmm. afternoon. I never, ever write between 2 and 4 p.m. because that is my mental dead time. Um, that's for running, email, the kinds of things that don't take a ton of mental energy but still need to get done. But my, I feel like the habits I choose if I were a hermit are different than the ones I choose when I have four kids staggering out the door to get to their schools that start at different times in the morning. But I love to write first thing in the morning, take a break to get everybody out the door, then get back to it before I move on with the rest of the day. Because like running, I need to do stuff to like manage the business and um, make sure the bills get paid and, um, you know, manage my team. And that's a different kind of thought. We're writing, I want to be very focused. And tell me a little more about the business. I feel like I have to be conscious of time because I can ask you like a zillion questions. But quickly, so you've turned this into a true business. I mean, you have a book club, you have membership levels, you have mm. an online like course, you have like all these different things mm-hmm. that you've done to basically monetize this amazing content. And mm. like you have like hearts and Oreos and everybody advertising on your site. And like, <laughs> I'm like, this is amazing. How is she doing this? So, um, how do you, how, when did you like p- decide that this was going to be a full on business, right. not just like a something you enjoyed? Or, di- or did you start out saying, I want to start a business mm-hmm. around books and reading? Like, when did it all? No, definitely not. And it took me a long time to get comfortable with using that B word because mm-hmm. um, I never saw it going quite that direction. Yep. But for a long time, I really shied away from like, I don't want to be the boss. I don't want to be the boss. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't want to be the, like, I'm the president of my company mm-hmm. for my tax forms. And yeah. every time I have to write that word, because um, tax season is coming yeah. up, I just think, oh, like, kill me now. This is so, <laughs> yeah. I just don't like the sound of it. And yet that is very much what it is. And I'm so grateful to have an amazing team. And it is my job to be the boss of that and manage that. No, it's still, first and foremost, it's something I love to do. I mean, I get to help people get more out of their reading lives. And I feel like when you get more out of your reading life, you cannot help but get more out of your life because that power that books has to focus you on what matters, to think about your own life in a new way, to show you new insights that really make a difference in your day-to-day experience. And I get to do that as my job. And that doesn't mean it's not work, but it's the best work I can think of. And I got to take it seriously, <laughs> you know, because because it deserves that. Yeah. I just feel like there's so many opportunities with like, there's just like, I get so excited about mm. all the different things that mm. you could choose to do. And I don't know. Yes, I really relate to that. Uh, some people like to focus on one thing and do it forever, but I really like the variety. So we do have the What Should I Read Next podcast, and we do have the Modern Mrs. Darcy blog, and we do have the book club, and I do write books about different topics. Um, I, I visualize it as a Ferris wheel. Like, I'm not doing all these things in depth at once, but the the different parts of my literary world kind of take turns coming up to the top of the wheel to, like, get focused attention for a time before they rotate down and something else comes up for its turn. But that, that variety um, keeps things interesting. 
and I love the possibility, I hear you. Like one of the guiding quotes yeah. for, for modern Mrs. Darcy is, uh, I dwell in possibility from Emily Dickinson. I just love thinking about what, what could be, totally. whether we're talking about, you know, the literary world or people's reading lives or people's lives. I agree. We'll have to like get together. Time <laughs> that to would like, be fun. I know, that would be fun. Um, do you have another book project that you're already thinking about? I mean, I'm thinking about it, so yeah. I'm always thinking about it, <laughs> yeah. Um, it. It's a really, in- I mean, I'm sure that every author approaches their work differently, and it's really interesting to hear on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books how different authors approach their work. But at the beginning, I'm never quite sure what a project is, and then it slowly starts coming out of the fog, and you think, oh, this is what I'm writing about. So that's where I am right now. And I just want to ask you, and what should you, what are you going to read next? Ooh, oh, that's a great question. Well, we put out a summer reading guide every year, which means that in the winter and spring, I'm reading all the titles I'm most excited about that are coming out between about like the middle of March. And we always say the 4th of July, but the past couple of years, there have been some releases that I can't wait to read coming out at the very end of the month. So I fudged it a little (laughs) bit and pushed it out. But that's what that's what I have going on right now. Although I found that if I don't mix it up with some backlist, that I become a cranky reader. Oh. But it's all awesome reading all the time. Awesome. Love it. And some old mysteries for balance. Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? Oh, yes. Put your butt in the chair, because that's how it gets done. Or the treadmill desk, I guess. But honestly, honestly, for me, it's put your butt in the chair. But also, I really like to believe that good work will find its audience. But the first thing you need is the good work. That's inspiring. This is what I tell myself all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me to talk about books and reading. Oh my gosh, I could do this all day. (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zibby Owens. Please make sure to sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com to get more updates about episodes like these and also lots of live events. Just a reminder, go to Bliss Body Shop and enter code ZibbyOwens15 and get yourself a new pair of leggings for 15% off. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. Mm-hmm.